Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Housing Minister Steve Clark joins us to talk about Ontario's upcoming housing summit and Hamilton's urban boundary issue. Major problems with GO Transit causes some stress for commuters in Hamilton. McMaster University has received a massive donation as it studies brain health. Ticat star Simone Lawrence talks about Sunday's Eastern semifinal against Montreal. The Bulldogs are making waves on and off the ice. And my wife recently had a strange dream. Do you have wild and wacky dreams? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The mayors and regional chairs of Ontario's big cities have been invited to attend a provincial summit on housing affordability on December the 16th. And here to talk about that is Steve Clark, the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. Good morning, Minister Clark, and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Hey, Rick, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Happy Friday. Yes, same to you. Is, is, is wee wee. Yes, that, we'll take a lot of that. Is the aim of this summit to develop concrete initiatives to help chip away at the issues that are contributing to our affordable housing crisis? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I believe, and I know the Premier does, that, uh, that there's much more work we can do together uh, with our municipal partners on the housing affordability uh, issue. Uh, supply uh, is is in desperate need. Demand is at an all-time high. And regardless of what the, our government has done uh, in this term already, and regardless of the great uh, increase in housing and purpose-built rental we're seeing, not just in Hamilton, but right across the province, we know that there's a lot more we can do. Housing is still uh, too far out of reach for too many Ontarians and something has to be done. So the the housing summit in in on December 16th with big city mayors and regional chairs is important. We're going to follow it up in January at the Rural Ontario Municipal Association. They normally meet in January, so we're going to use that uh, opportunity at the Roma conference to engage with small er, small rural and uh, and northern mayors. So this is an important issue that uh, transcends both of our uh, levels of government. And we really need to, to roll up our sleeves and, and work together on behalf of Ontarians. Increasing the housing supply is certainly one of the biggest steps that can be done. Cutting the red tape to get to that is certainly another avenue that we can discuss. What solutions or is there a big solution that you have in mind? Well, I, obviously, uh, it takes too long to get uh, housing um, in, in the pipe uh, in uh, in Ontario. We're, we're finding that while there is some best practices out there from municipalities. Not everyone is using the tools that we've given them. You know, we've worked pretty hard with our housing supply action plan uh, to get the results that we, we've been seeing in Ontario in 2020 and projected in 2021. But there's a lot more work that can be done. And, and we're really we're really trying to engage municipalities uh, and, and, and big city mayors collaboratively because we need, we need them to understand this is an important issue. I, I think most of them realize that. Uh, but it's a shared responsibility for from both levels of government. And we really have to ensure that uh, we look at those pain points in the system on, on why it's just taking too long to get to uh, get product to market. So it's a it's a huge undertaking by the government. But it's something that I think uh, is, is so very necessary moving forward. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Steve Clark, Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. Uh, this uh, housing summit announcement comes just days after Hamilton City Council voted against expanding the urban boundary here in town, instead opting for infill development and intensification in terms of uh, adding to the housing supply. Will the provincial government respect the city's decision? 
Well, we, you know, we've just uh, we're you know we're receiving the uh, the document from Hamilton City Council, so I'm going to give it my due diligence. I, you know, my message, Rick, is that all options are on the table. However, um, you know, we're just talking about a ho- the housing crisis. We we need to make sure that uh, as part of the official plan review for uh, municipalities in the Greater Golden Horseshoe, that they that they do their due diligence and. Um, you know, the city's own uh, staff report indicates that uh, with the population projections to 2051, there, there's just not enough infill opportunities that the urban boundary needs to get expanded. That's the that's the Hamilton uh, staff report. But, you know, that's a that's a 30 year projection. You know, the official plan is a is a long range undertaking. It's quite complex. It involves, you know, population employment projections and those land allocations. So, so that's a 30-year uh, window. We're, we're talking not just about the importance of municipalities doing those things on time, but we need to do things now. You know, there's a housing supply crisis today. Young families can't find a home that meets their needs in their budget. So we need councils and, and mayors to, to look at the existing system we have and we need to do better. We need to do better for that uh, young family that right now in Hamilton uh, doesn't have a dream of home ownership because the price is uh, out of the picture. So that's something that we're going to really challenge mayors uh, to to look at. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're really hoping that both levels of government will take a collaborative tone. Uh, as I said uh, on the official plan, all options are on the table. I'm going to continue to keep an open mind because I, I really need the council to understand at the end of the day, this is all about housing affordability. We'll have to leave it there. Minister Clark, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the weekend. Yeah, thanks. You too. All the best. That is Steve Clark, Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, joining us to talk about an upcoming housing affordability summit with uh, mayors, not only from Hamilton and the GTA, but across the province, regional chairs as well. December 16th is the day that they're going to do that and hopefully come out with some solutions that will help with affordable housing in the city and in this province. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Major issues for Go Train commuters this morning. This after an arson near the West Harbor Go station. There was also a disabled CN freight train near the Georgetown Go. That's also caused some headaches out that way. Matt Llewellyn is a spokesperson for Metrolinks and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. What a crazy morning so far. What what the heck has gone on here? Yeah, so it's been a definitely an interesting morning and a bit of a challenge for some of our GO customers this morning to get where they were going. We actually had two separate unrelated issues that were creating some problems for our GO trains this morning. So we'll start with the one here in Hamilton. Um, police are, are investigating what we're calling a suspicious fire at a signal bungalow. So this is a, it's like an aluminum kind of shed near the tracks um, that happened just east of West Harbor GO Center. So um, as a result of that, uh, we had um, a number of our Hamilton trains that start out of Hamilton this morning. Um, they were they were pretty significantly delayed, some of them up to 40 minutes, um, because our crews needed to actually operate those switches manually. So they needed to get out of the train, operate them. Um, and because of some of the train cycling, we were initially concerned that there were going to be some ripple effects right throughout the network. The good news is our network operations team, They've been working really hard, working with Sia and our rail partner down in that area to uh, really isolate these delays to rush hour this morning. So the good news is if you did experience a bit of a delay this morning uh, coming out of West Harbor along the Lakeshore West Line, 
We expect that your afternoon commute at this point, um, in terms of this issue, is going to be resolved uh, for the most part, and uh, there shouldn't be any delays. The exception being anybody heading to Niagara tonight, uh, those trains are expected to be delayed as a result of the damage caused to that signal bungalow there. So that was the first issue that happened, and that happened very early this morning in Hamilton. Then, as you mentioned, we had this secondary issue that happened, which was a, a CN freight train actually broke down and blocked some track near the Kitchener uh, line of, near Georgetown Go. So uh, that created uh, some concerns that uh, those customers were going to be experiencing quite a delay. There was a backlog of freight trains, but again, uh, my hat goes off to our, our folks in our rail traffic control center and our network operations team. They uh, they did a great job this morning sort of mitigating that issue and uh that train's now on the on the move, and we were able to uh, work with CN to sort of clear the backlog, but give priority to go customers, so that way they could get to where they were going safely this morning. So, it's uh, it's been a challenge for sure. We've had our teams uh, working very hard to sort of get everybody where they need to go safely. But, uh, yeah, certainly not the way we wanted to start Friday. <laughs> no, not at all. Let, let's uh, revert back to the West Harbor uh, GO station, because that certainly impacts most of our listeners here in Hamilton. Um, commuters are being uh, placed onto, onto buses to get to Aldershot. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a couple, uh, couple of the trains left. Um, so, so essentially what, what happens is we have a layover facility that's um, sort of in the Stony Creek area. And, uh, and so in order to um, sort of in order to reduce the number of delays, we're actually running those trains straight to Aldershot this morning. It'll save us about 20 minutes. Um, so as a result, we're getting anybody who's heading to West Harbor, putting them on a bus uh, and taking them to Aldershot Go. So that way uh, those delays aren't in the 40 to, to 60 minute range. Uh, kind of the delays are being isolated to about 20 minutes. So that's the good news of the creative solutions that our teams came up with to try to minimize the delays for folks. Again, we recognize totally not ideal um, and we do apologize. This one does seem to be out of our control this morning, and we're doing the best we can to get everyone where they need to go. The uh, the shuttle service via the bus, that should end fairly soon? Yeah, I would expect uh, probably just after 8 o'clock, you'll start to see regular service back out of West Harbor, um, and, and that should resume for the rest of the day. How many people are affected here? Probably a few hundred, um, for sure. The, the, it's been a popular station, um, particularly in the morning since we introduced hourly uh, GO service back in the fall. So uh, I, I would say the, the, the Lakeshore West issue, if you take a look at the whole line in terms of delays, I mean, it could be hundreds of thousands, but, but the number of people who experienced those real significant delays out of West Harbor this morning, uh, probably a few hundred. Regarding the arson investigation, and I understand that you probably can't share too much information on that because police are investigating, uh, we do know that uh, protesters have uh, you know, targeted rail lines in the past. Is this uh, entering the thought process here? Yeah, so we are investigating this as a suspicious fire, as you, as you noted. Um, can't really speak to causation just quite yet, uh, still looking into that. What we can say is that, uh, you know, our rail infrastructure is, uh, you know, there's hundreds of, of, of kilometers of, you know, uh, open track right throughout the entire region, whether that's, uh, you know, you're talking here in the Hamilton area or right around the GTA. And so we believe that everyone has a role to play in help keeping our rail network safe. Um, and what we always ask people is if you see something suspicious, say something. Don't hesitate to give uh, 911 a call. Don't hesitate to give our network operation or our uh, customer protection team a, a call just to let them know, hey, uh, you know, there's something a little off or, or there's something a little suspicious that seems to be going down um, because it, it really can't help us. Um, and in, again, in this particular case, this particular uh, 
instant, uh, you know, this particular investigation is being treated as suspicious this fire. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton is Matt Llewellyn, spokesperson with Metrolinks. We're talking about, uh, well, some some chaos on uh, GO train lines this morning due to a number of different uh, events, an arson and a a disabled freight train in the uh, Georgetown GO area. Uh, In in terms of security or surveillance, is there any of that uh, around these uh, types of uh, uh, signal bungalows? Yeah, we have a we have a, a very robust um, system that's in place for monitoring all of our equipment, as, as well as uh, you know we have CCTV cameras, and you know we work with our our rail partners like CN and CP. Um, they have their individual police forces. We work with our our local safety partners like Hamilton Police, for example, as well as we have our own special constables. And so um, we have people out and eyes around the network, uh, pretty much twenty four hours a day, uh, keeping an eye on some of this stuff. But obviously. I mean, like I say, there's hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of track all throughout uh, the province. And so can't be everywhere uh, at all times. But uh, no, we do have extensive systems in place to, to keep all of our infrastructure safe and to make sure that we can get uh, everyone to where they're going safely. Matt, thanks uh, for taking some time out of your busy morning to uh, join us on Good Morning Hamilton and keeping us updated uh, throughout the morning on uh, what is happening with these two situations. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully it's uh, less eventful. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, again, our apologies to anyone who experienced the delay this morning. Uh, we hope we, uh, you know, didn't cause too much of uh, a trouble to your morning commute. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you. That is Matt Llewellyn, spokesperson with Metrolinx. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Weston family has donated $12 million to McMaster University for the Healthy Brains, Healthy Aging Initiative as part of its Canadian Longitudinal Study on Aging. Parminder Reyna is a professor in the Department of Health Research Methods, Evidence, Impact, Faculty of Health Sciences at McMaster and joins us this morning. Good morning, Parminder. Good morning, Greg. Well, you don't get $12 million every day. How cool is this? This is uh, excellent, and we've been working with the Western Foundation family for the last uh, six months, and finally this has come to fruition, and we are very excited to start this project. So how is this money going to be used? So this funding that we received is going to be embedding a study within the Canadian Longitudinal Study in Aging, which has been going on for the last 12, 10 years, and we'll continue to follow these people for uh, until 2033, for a long time to go. And in those participants that we have in the study, we are going to be introducing two components. One is that we are going to be doing the brain imaging, and idea is to understand how, because most of the focus to date has been people who have a dementia or have a, some sort of a disease. We want to actually push it back and try to understand how is that successful brain aging happens. Because if we are going to be thinking about treatments and management in the future, uh, it's more and more is becoming apparent that we have to understand how the healthy brain works and then determine what kind of treatments and uh, issues that we will have to deal with. And so this project is actually focusing on the, the looking at the hardware, which is the brain, and the software, which is our cognition, memory, and things like that. What is the link between the hardware and software, and how do people, as they age, compensate these two things? So this is what the focus of this uh, initiative is. And on top of that, uh, we have also overlaid the link between what happens in our gut and what happens with our brain and how those two things communicate and impact uh, the, the successful brain aging. 
And that's what the focus of this project is. We are going to be doing neuroimaging on around 2,600 people, and they will be uh, twice in their lifetime. So we will start something this year, and then in three years later, this will be repeated. And same thing with uh, uh, understanding what happens with the bacteria in the gut. So we will be collecting fecal samples from people and then trying to understand the link between the gut and the brain, link between social factors, lifestyle, behavioral factors on the brain, and how that results in successful brain aging. Boy, this is a lot of work that you're undertaking here. Uh, Yes, this is uh, part of the science, and hopefully we will come uh, produce some results that are going to benefit Canadians and Hamiltonians and, uh, and the world around to see how we can prevent uh, 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 the whole prevent the, the, the occurrence of dementia or delay it by understanding what happens in the brain. Arminda Rayner is a guest, uh, professor in the Department of Health Research Methods, Evidence and Impact, and scientific director of the McMaster Institute for Research and Aging. You have 6,000 participants in the Healthy Brains, Healthing Aging Initiative. Um, do you need more? Is Do you have everyone on board? And, and what are they going to be doing on a daily basis? Or do they, do they need to do anything different on a daily basis? So, as, as I mentioned, that these are already people who are recruited into our uh, Canadian Longitudinal Study on Aging. So, we are going to be doing uh, this uh, brain imaging uh, on them. So, we are not looking to recruit new uh, participants for our study because we already have a whole lot of data on these people. So, we want to take advantage of that because we don't want to put too much burden on our participants. So, uh, the, the only thing is that when we reach out to our participants, we will ask them to consent to take part in this study. So they will be asked to uh, uh, go to an MRI facility to have uh, imaging done once every three years. And then we will leave a little kit with them to collect the fecal sample, which they can send it back to us and we analyze. Other than that, uh, they have to be just doing the regular things they were doing in the Canadian Longitudinal Study on Aging, and that happens every three years. So in between, they don't have to do anything. Uh, There was a study published in the journal Nature Aging yesterday, which showed that 43% of adults aged 50 and older uh, experienced moderate or high levels of depressive symptoms at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, and that increased over time. How worrisome are these statistics? Well, this is the work which came out of the Canadian Longitudinal Study on Aging again because we launched this initiative as soon as right at the beginning of the pandemic last year in April because having the existing research study like CLSA gave us that opportunity because many of the, it's important to uh, think about that many of the other data that has come out, they only collected data during the pandemic. We had the advantage that we had information on people's depression and mental health prior to pandemic. So we were able to compare what was their depression level pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. So we followed these people uh, for uh, 10 months uh, last year. And during that period, uh, we did see that the uh, depression did go up. Um, And we thought that it will be uh, because of the early stages of the pandemic and uh, that it will uh, sort of uh, go down as the different uh, uh, public health interventions were uh, interventions were relaxed. 
And surprisingly, what we see is that once the depression levels, depressive symptoms went up, it remained high. And, and that shows that what kind of impact this pandemic has had on, on people. Uh, public health uh, interventions are important. That has served us well in relation to the coronavirus infection. But we also have to think about how do we manage other consequences of this pandemic in, in, in our population, especially the older population. And another important thing in this uh, study we found is that it doesn't affect everybody equally. So the people who are socially disadvantaged or people who are, uh, are lonely, uh, they have a very different experience than people who have resources. So the question, which is an open question for uh, us, and we will probably collect future data to see, whether people do come back to their pre- pre-pandemic level or do they improve. And and I think that the governments and the municipal governments, federal and provincial governments, will have to think about how, how do we design uh, programs and interventions that tailor to the needs of the people, the type of people we have identified in this study to manage and help them with the these uh, mental health challenges that people have experienced. So it is worrying, worrisome, and uh, and uh, it is worrisome in certain populations more so than others. And it is also interesting that it affected younger, older people more than older souls, even though they had increased depressive symptoms in old, old age, but it was more uh, affecting people who are still working. They're in the workforce. They are not retired. So it also shows that, that the, the older people, which is an important message in the sense, they have a lot more resiliency when dealing with challenging uh, conditions. And, and we have to think about as we design programs and interventions uh, going forward to manage these type of uh, distress. Let me jump in there because we're out of time. Interesting statistics and analysis uh, from you, Parminder. Thank you very much for the time. Uh, good luck. Uh, continue good luck with this uh, study, and uh, we'll chat with you down the road. Great. Thank you very much for your time. That is Parminder Reyna, professor in the Department of Health, Research Methods, Evidence and Impact, and the scientific director of the McMaster Institute for Research on Aging. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. In just two days, the Hamilton Tiger Cats will host the Montreal Alouettes in the CFL's Eastern Semifinal. Who has the edge? Well, let's ask our next guest. Simone Lawrence is the linebacker with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and joins us now. Good morning, Simone. Hey, how you doing, Rick? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Did you, most importantly, for, forget about Sunday's game for a second, did you get to celebrate Thanksgiving yesterday? <laughs> In my own little way. But <laughs> <laughs> I, was so, I was so locked in on Sunday's game, man. All I could watch was Montreal films. <laughs> hey, that, that's not a bad thing. I, I will say this. During yesterday's news conference, Jagarid Davis came after you, and he was also asked about Thanksgiving, and he listed off literally like 30 things that his family was cooking up yesterday, everything from brisket to peach cobbler, which apparently is his favorite. Do you have a favorite Thanksgiving dish? Uh, yeah, um, I know everybody's going to laugh at me, but like, I love my mom's stuffing. I love the way my dad makes the turkey. I love all that stuff, like the ham. But my favorite is always the uh, the baked mac and cheese with the lasagna and the barbecue chicken. You know, we we incorporated that to my uh, family's 
uh, tradition because that's what I love to eat. So they make it every Thanksgiving. So wow. I was definitely missing that. My mouth is watering. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, I'm getting hungry here. <laughs> All right. Let, let's talk about Sunday. How excited are you to hit the field in what is going to be the first playoff game in Hamilton since 2019? Oh, man, I'm so excited. I just can't wait to get out on the field and get all that energy from the fans. You know, I know that they're going to be up early in the morning at 5 a.m. Um, drinking alcoholic beverages, everybody that's over 21 or 19 out here, huh? So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I, I know that we're going to have a rowdy group at 1 o'clock, so I'm just excited for that atmosphere and, of course, to play the game. Uh, earlier this week, Montreal linebacker Patrick Lovells guaranteed a win on Sunday, and he also called out a bunch of players and coaches on the team, Jeremiah Masoli, Don Jackson, Brandon Banks, Coach O. Uh, here's what he had to say. We will win. In Hamilton. Stamp it, put it big as you need to put it. Black it out. We coming. Montreal Alouettes. See you soon. Can't wait. Anything else? Let's go. All right, Mr. Lawrence, how do you respond to what Patrick Lovells had to say yesterday? Or the other day? Um, congratulations. Uh, we'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> I don't like the fact that you called out my boss. I don't like that at all, but We'll see what's up on Sunday. But yeah, we all know what he's trying to do. He's trying to motivate his guys. And, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. How do you guys motivate yourselves in the Ticats locker room? What are, what are you saying to each other? We're all professional football players, and a lot of guys have, like, the same kind of attitude as me. We all come from, like, mostly come from, like, the same places. So, you know, we don't really we don't really buy into that wolf talk. Those are what we call wolf traps, you know what I mean? So we just ignore that because you get to see your opponent and you get to play against them. So it's not really a big thing. Um, whatever them guys need to do to motivate each other, that, that's well on their behalf. But, you know, we're just going to do it our way. And we know Coach Orlando has a great system and it's, it's a proven system and it works. And this is what we do and this is how we go about our business. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Simone Lawrence, Tiger Cats linebacker, as we discuss Sunday's Eastern semifinal between Hamilton and Montreal. You have been named the East Division's Defensive Player of the Year, and you're up against Winnipeg's Adam Big Hill for that CFL Top Defender Award. What does that mean to you? Uh, it's an honor and a privilege. You know, you work hard and you just want to be the best at what you do. You know, I think everybody that works and has a job wants to be considered the best or known as the best and you know it feels good you know especially you know representing my defense that you know is a big part of my accomplishments this year so and my coaches and the whole staff and organization who keep me grounded and ready to play every week so it's, it feels good to represent the organization last question for you the tiger cats in the city of hamilton hosting the great cup for the first time since 1996 this year has that been something that's been on your mind, or is that just in the back burner right now because you have more important business uh, come Sunday? Yeah, there's too much on my mind. Like that's happening right now to be thinking about that. To be honest, um, we have a big game on Sunday uh, that we're preparing for tremendously, and you know we just want to get this win in front of our fans so we can have the opportunity to compete uh, and move to the next round. Simone, appreciate the time. Congrats on the East Division Defensive Player nomination. Good luck at the CFL Awards on December 10th, and most importantly, good luck on Sunday. Thanks for the chat today.
Thanks. I appreciate it, Rick. Have a great day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Hamilton Bulldogs continue to battle for top spot in the OHL's East Division and a busy weekend ahead for the Dogs, including a special event tomorrow at First Ontario Centre. Here to talk about it is the president and GM of the Hamilton Bulldogs, Steve Steo. Steve, good morning. Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you? Not too bad yourself. Yeah, doing great, doing great. You guys beat Niagara 6-3 last night. You're hosting uh, Burlington, Shane Wright, and the Frontenacs tomorrow, and you got Oshawa on Sunday. This is a pretty jam-packed weekend for you. Isn't it great? I mean, uh, the competition has been uh, so good this year. I mean, there's really not a lot uh, between the teams, and on any given night we're playing in tight games, which is incredible for the development of our, our athletes and uh and also, we're finding ways to win. And uh, real credit to the coaching staff and, and uh, our group of, of uh, players. It's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been interesting, you know, all the time off, Rick, and to see how our players have come back fit and ready to go. And uh, uh, just really, really proud of the group so far. Hamilton's on a three-game winning streak at the top of the East Division as they get set to play uh, the fronts tomorrow. And speaking of tomorrow's game, it's a 4 p.m. start. It's Military Appreciation Day at the Dog Pound, and there's also a special game at noon featuring the Argyles and the Rileys. Tell us about that. You got it. Like that, That's something that we've always wanted to continue the tradition of doing, uh, show our appreciation. I mean, the one great thing about uh, our, our team and our organization we, you know, there's a lot going on with the hockey team, but things that we can do uh, to uh, bring the community together and show our appreciation. And tomorrow, uh, the game at noon, uh, you know, and then also, you know, we want our fans to come out and be able to show the women and men our appreciation for what they do for us. Uh, fans also being asked to bring a new unwrapped toy for city kids. So there's a, a, a fundraising aspect to it, which is great for the kids who, who uh, benefit from the great work that city kids uh, do on a day-to-day basis. I also understand that some season ticket holders are uh, or have donated their seats to military members and veterans. That's really cool. And yes. I mean, we have an incredible fan base and uh, uh, such a giving uh, group of people. And not only that, like this is one where they give their season tickets back and seats for military, but we also have season ticket holders that give them to schools and to charity, like it's our foundation to uh, be able to use. So it's just a great feeling all around, but having, having a military appreciation day is a very proud moment for us. And, we hope that we have a great crowd so we can all show our appreciation. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Steve Steos, President and General Manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs. The Dogs and Hamilton Police are teaming up once again uh, during the holiday season. Tell us about it. Yeah, the ride program, uh, you know, uh, partnership that we have with, uh, with Hamilton Police Services is something where if you're doing the right thing and uh, the stop check is set up, and you haven't had a drink, you get tickets to uh, to a Bulldogs game. And it's just, I think the timing of it, Rick, is important. It's such a great time of the year. Um, lots of festivities, events, parties, and things uh, uh, to go to. And as we know, um, you know, if you plan ahead and you make the right plans, it's going to be a great night and a great time. If not, in a situation. We just want a reminder for people to be able to be safe on the roads, enjoy the holiday season. It's a great time of year to come to hockey games and events and parties and all and alike. And I know everybody's pent up and really wanted to get out uh, after what we've been through. So I think it's a great reminder for all of us. Speaking of safety as well, Bulldogs doing a great job at the arena in terms of keeping everyone safe. So thumbs up in that regard as well. Steve, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us today. Good luck this weekend and uh, we'll chat later. 
I appreciate it, Rick. You have a great day. You too. That's Steve Steos, president and general manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs. And as I mentioned, first place in the East, three-point lead on the Ottawa 67s and one of the best teams in the OHL, really. I mean, you can put London up there in top spot. Um, North Bay, you know, from a points perspective, is certainly second overall. And then Hamilton's right in the mix in terms of being one of the top teams in the Ontario Hockey League. Support the Bulldogs. Their next home game again tomorrow, Military Appreciation Day at 4 p.m. start time as they take on Burlington Shane Wright, a future first overall draft pick in the NHL, tomorrow at 4. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So earlier this week, and this happens every once in a while. My wife will, well, text me as she did as she did the other day, or she'll just uh, you know <laughs> replay a dream that she had about me. So earlier this week, she sends me a text. I had a dream last night that you quit your job to become a minister, <laughs> which I find hilarious. So number one, that's not going to happen. Number two, she does have some pretty weird dreams. I'm not a big dreamer. You know, w- once in a blue moon, I'll wake up thinking, what the heck did I just dream about? It'll be something really off off the wall. But she, more often than not, will have, you know, very vivid dreams about people, me, the kids, whatever, her, friends, people at work. And uh, so it got me to thinking, you know, why, why do we dream and, and how does that impact our sleep? And are we getting a good sleep during the pandemic? It's kind of been, you know, touch and go throughout the last 20-odd months or so. Kayla Solomon is a pediatric sleep and well-being expert with sleepingbeauties.ca and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Kayla. Hi, how are you? Not too bad, yourself? I'm great. It's a little early, but I'm, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I hear you. Why, why, yeah. why do we dream? What, what's going on in the old cranium? Okay, so first of all, I'll say that it's really common for people to have awful sleep or really strange dreams around a full moon. So the last full moon was actually earlier last week. So if you if your wife had her dream like around November 19th, that could be the culprit. It's really, really common. But hmm. in general, um, we don't know a lot about why people dream. We know a lot about other aspects of sleep, but dreams are one of those kind of elusive things that we don't have as much information about. Um, in terms of like why dreams can be so vivid, when you're in REM sleep, which is that rapid eye movement sleep, there's an increase in certain neurotransmitters in the brain. And so like those are the, the brain's chemicals, basically, right? So one of the chemicals that is elevated during REM sleep is dopamine, which obviously I'm sure you've heard of before because it's linked to hallucinations. And dopamine is what makes dreams seem so surreal. So for some people, they just have much more vivid dreams than others. Everybody dreams, but it typically is only the dreams that happens during that REM sleep that you actually remember. So some people just are better at remembering their dreams during REM sleep. So is... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so is it accurate to say because I don't dream a lot, am I uh, lacking in dopamine? Not necessarily. It could just be a memory thing. Like dreams typically tend to fade away pretty quickly, and some people are just better at remembering them. Part of it also could be just how strange the dream is, right? Like the weirder the dream, the more likely it is that you're going to wake up and be like, what just happened, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's also really common to have really vivid dreams, not to say this is the case with you and your wife, but very common to have vivid dreams when you're pregnant. So pregnancy dreams are also a thing where you just have really, really bizarre dreams. Uh, The other thing that happens really often is if you are 
under a lot of stress or you're sleep deprived, that's also when you tend to have more vivid dreams. And so I think when you talk about it in the context of the pandemic, it makes a lot of sense that people would be having more dreams or stranger dreams than they would have before because we're all under like so much more stress. With the full moon thing, is that a body clock kind of function? So, again, there's not like a ton of information on it, but it does make sense that that would be where it's coming from uh, because our circadian rhythm is driven by the rise and the fall of the sun. And so with the full moon, that could be connected. But it's really hard to know because it's very difficult to study dreams because of the way that we forget them once we wake up. Kayla Solomon is a pediatric sleep and well-being expert with sleepingbeauties.ca. Check it out on the World Wide Web. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you this morning. Uh, when it comes to dreams, when, when we're watching TV or we're scrolling through Twitter or Facebook before we go to bed, does that have an impact? Totally. It doesn't necessarily have an impact on the dreams themselves, but... What we get from watching screens later at night is that screens emit blue light, and blue light inhibits our body's production of melatonin, which is the hormone we need in order to fall asleep. It's also the hormone we get from the sun, so it sort of mimics natural light. So the best thing to do is reduce your blue light exposure, I'd say, for the hour or two leading up to bedtime. And I'd say, like, my practice is based with parents, right? Most parents, the second they put their kids to bed, they get on their phones or they watch TV. So the best thing that you can do to reduce the amount of blue light exposure you're getting is to turn your devices to night mode or to get yourself a pair of blue light blocking glasses from Amazon. They're like $20, very inexpensive, but they make a significant difference because that way if you reduce your uh, blue light exposure, your body has time to build that melatonin, which means when you get into bed, it's much easier to fall asleep. So there's another reason why my wife may have vivid dreams. She goes to bed with the TV on all the time. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Blammo, case closed. <laughs> there you go. Do... And- I was going to say, in my practice, because I deal mostly with kids, dreams come into play in a few different ways with young kids. It's, you know, one of them is that when kids hit developmental milestones, they have a tendency to practice whatever they're learning in their sleep. And so they get really big sleep interruptions because let's say they're learning to pull themselves to stand, for example, they might stand up in their crib in their sleep and then wake up because they don't know how to sit back down. So babies dream as well? So there's not a lot of information, again, on like at what age kids do start to dream, but certainly with toddlers, you definitely start start to see not just dreams, but nightmares happening. And when you talk about dreams as it relates to like toddler sleep, that's when you get a lot of sleep interruptions because kids really have a fear of separating from their parents. And so when they go to bed at night, it's the biggest separation that we expect kids to manage, right? It's like 12 hours without being near an adult. And so that will often trigger dreams and nightmares that will then wake them up in the middle of the night, and then they're going to call for their parents for help. How do you know if your child is getting enough sleep or a good night's sleep? Is it just those warning signs that they're cranky or whiny? You know, that's the million-dollar question, I think. It really depends on the child. I think that one of the challenges parents face is there is a lot of information about how much sleep each child should be getting. But... Sleep is really specific to each individual. In the same way that you can have two adults who are the same age and have completely different sleep patterns, it's the same for kids. So the best indication of whether or not your child is getting enough sleep is basically if they just seem to wake well-rested. If they're having naps and they wake from those naps happy and ready to go, even if they're short naps, it's probably all the sleep they needed. If they wake cranky from their naps, then they probably need to go back to sleep. So you can definitely support them back to sleep. And my approach to sleep is sleep without any sleep training. So I'm very big into parents trusting their instincts and following their child's lead. 
but certainly overnight sleep as well. If your child is waking and they are happy, even if it's the crack of dawn like it is today, uh, it's okay <laughs> as long as they are well rested and they're getting a decent amount of sleep, but it's going to differ from one child to the next. And that's what I'm here for to help parents figure out. Great stuff. You can find out more online, sleepingbeauties.ca. We've been chatting with Kayla Solomon, a pediatric sleep and well-being expert. Thanks for waking up a little earlier than you normally do and spending some time with us. And uh, enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You too. That's Kayla Solomon again from sleepingbeauties.ca. Great website, awesome tips, and of course, uh, great advice from uh, Kayla as well. If you're not getting a good night's sleep, Turn off those phones. Get that TV away. Maybe read a book. Or just kind of lull yourself to sleep. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.